When I'm having a good hair day, that's when I'm my best self. I feel good. I look great. And I will say, painting sulfate-free rose water collection is a part of that. The Rose Water Collection. It feels and smells amazing and comes with a deep treatment that leaves your hair petal soft. It was inspired by Ramadan traditions when many in the Middle East break the fast with rose water because of its hydrating benefits. And the collection is free of sulfates, parabens, dyes, and mineral oil. So experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. The Only Way is Through, a new podcast in partnership with iHeartRadio and Under Armour. Players, coaches, and athletes will share intimate and personal stories of performing at the highest level. Here is Canadian heptathlete Georgia Ellenwood. The reason I won is because on that day I was confident. I need to continue that mentality to understand that I can be an Olympic athlete. I can compete with the best in the world and just perform. Listen to The Only Way is Through, available now on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, this is part two of our female superheroes podcast. Indeed it is. And um, I thought I'd share with you one of my most embarrassing moments. Oh, thank God. Yes. Molly's embarrassing moments. I've been waiting for so long. You know, and I don't get embarrassed that often, but this was probably the, the worst time I've ever felt embarrassed. And maybe it'll be nothing to you guys, but I was pretty embarrassed. So I'm five. And I think Nickelodeon used to run uh, reruns of the old Wonder Woman show with Linda Carter uh, from the 70s. And so one time when I was out on the playground, I was kind of pretending to be a Wonder Woman in my head. Like I wasn't playing superheroes with anyone else. I, you know, I don't remember what I was doing, but all of a sudden I was like, okay, it's time to turn to Wonder Woman. And uh, in the show, she would do that by spinning around really fast. So I went under this, like, enclosed slide area where I thought I had some privacy. And I started my spin, and I was spinning. I mean, in my head, I was I was converting into to a powerful, powerful superhero. When two boys walked in while in the middle of my spinning. And it just, I mean... It's girls spin all the time. I don't know why I was so embarrassed, but I felt like they could see into my soul and know that I was trying to turn into Wonder Woman and that they were just mocking me in their heads. No words were exchanged because I ran out very quickly. Oh, they didn't even they didn't even directly make fun of you. I don't think they even got the chance because as soon as I saw them, I was like, ah, so they might not have even noticed you spinning. Oh, no, there was there was some noticing of spinning because I who knows how long I spun with them standing there. Yeah, that's true. It is easy to get swept away. Um, but the fact that I was just spinning around in circles by myself under a slide and, and got caught in the act really embarrassed me for a long time. I think I stopped playing superheroes after that. Well, Molly, I think that now is time to heal those emotional scars by, you know, really talking about Wonder Woman and all of the positive things that she does represent. Because you know what, Molly? Even though you didn't turn to Wonder Woman that day, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe there's still a chance. Yes. Which is why I want, I want you to do something. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yes. I'm, I'm going to just spin myself around in the chair and my voice will come around the microphone every, every mm-hmm. few words. Um, but yes, the second half of our female superhero podcast deals with the female superheroes themselves. In part one, we kind of talked about how 
women in superhero comics don't usually fare well. No, they, they often tend to meet, die. Yeah, they often meet untimely deaths. And a lot of times when there's a lot of violence involved, it's a lot of very sexualized mm-hmm. violence because these women are, are generally not wearing many clothes to begin with. And they have very pinup-y types of figures. So all in all, not not that great of a life for comic book superheroes. But at the same time, there are some standout names that we really didn't talk about in the last episode that we need to shine a light on. Most notably, Wonder Woman, because Wonder Woman was really the face of second wave feminism when she debuted on the cover of the very first edition of Ms. Magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, and we think of her as really embodying, you know, uh Strength and power. And there's this long-awaited Wonder Woman movie mm-hmm. that, that everyone's hoping for. But I think that it's interesting because in when when something like a female superhero dies unexpectedly, all these female comic book readers come out of the woodwork and say, I finally had someone to relate to in this comic, and then you killed her. And I think it'd be interesting to see what long-standing female heroes we have in comics and of course, Wonder Woman's the most notable. Yeah, one. I mean, Wonder Woman's really kind of it. And she was created specifically to appeal to girls and to serve as a positive role model. Because in the last episode, we made the point that since comic book readership is largely male, it does make sense that a lot of the superheroes are these male figures that they can idealize. But a psychologist named William Marston said, you know what? Little girls need a hero, too. Right. So he created her in 1941. And Marston is quite a character. He is. He called himself a feminist, but it's not a definition of feminism that I tend to agree with, because it's all about how women are not just equal, but superior to men. Mm-hmm. And um, we're all about advocating gender equality, I think, with our forms of feminism, mm-hmm. Kristen. But he's like, no, I'm going to teach the world that eventually our country is going to turn back into a matriarchy where women have all the power. And men do their bidding. Right. And this whole power dynamic comes through a lot in early Wonder Woman comics. And I didn't really think about it at all until, um, until I started reading about how Marston in his personal life was very, very intrigued by, uh, submission domination types of sexual activities. He was actually in a polyamorous relationship and had um, two two wives. And within the context of that relationship, he was also very interested in sexual bondage. And so he instilled a lot of that imagery into the Wonder Woman comics. And so what do you know? Wonder Woman has a truth lasso that she ties men up with. Wonder Woman herself often gets tied up. Uh, you guys can, you know, take it from there. Well, you know, it's interesting that lasso makes men tell the truth. Mm-hmm. And, and everyone was like, oh, man, what a great weapon for a woman to uh, be able to get a man to tell the truth. Interesting factoid about old Marston. He uh, invented the modern day lie detector test. So, I mean, he is very interested in truth and ways of tying you up to get to the truth. 
So right around when Wonder Woman is invented, there's also the rise of other types of super heroines that are collectively known as the debutantes. For instance, we have the Phantom Lady who came on the scene in the late 40s, and she's sort of like a female Batman. She's wealthy, but she doesn't have that much to do, so she fights crime in her spare time. Uh, and you also have other characters like Miss Mask or the Red Tornado or the Spider Widow. Spider Widow was kind of interesting because she didn't really even like fighting crime. She was just wealthy and bored and only did it if she really had to. It was kind of forced upon her to fight crime. So, And the information about these early superheroes comes from Mike Madrid, who wrote a book called The Supergirls, Fashion, Feminism, Fantasy, and the History of the Comic Book Heroines. And he said that these early comic book heroines he, he equated them to Paris Hilton. He said essentially in their daily lives, you know, they are rich. They've got lots of money. He said that they would kind of be painted as really shallow and ditzy. And you would never guess that they were the ones who fought crime. But he said that he kind of thought that they were early feminists in a gender equality sense because uh, when they put on their costume, put on their mask, that was when they got to be truly free and truly equal to the crime fighting men. And it was in their daily lives that they had a lot of obstacles against them, not, you know, when they were facing bad guys. And he said that, you know, it was fun because they're really brainy and witty and funny. And um, then it was when they had to go back into their normal lives that they were sort of the uninteresting stay at home boring types. Right. And originally, Wonder Woman wasn't even drawn as a sexy character. Sure, she wore the the hot pants and tube top, basically. But she she was no she was no Sheena Queen of the jungle or a phantom lady. You know, we were other other super heroines associated with these good girl characters that we talked about in the last podcast. And that was because she was meant to appeal to girls. But then after World War Two, there's kind of this decline with the role of females in comic books. And since Wonder Woman was meant to appeal to girls, she wasn't drawn like other good girl characters we talked about in the last episode, like Sheena, Queen of the Jungle, or Phantom Lady, who were very voluptuous, even though Wonder Woman did wear hot pants and a tube top. She was intentionally drawn as not as overtly sexy. Now, let's talk a little bit about Wonder Woman's origins, because this is part of what changes over the years. And while uh, she was drawn for little girls, we did read one article that notes that even though she was drawn for little girls, about 90 percent of Wonder Woman's total readership has always been male. So uh, I think that might play a factor in why she gets watered down. But we'll we'll decide for ourselves as time goes on. She first appears in 1941, and she was an Amazon princess from the immortal race of female warriors from Greek mythology. Uh, She lived on an island where men could never set foot. And the whole reason she comes uh, to our country is because some man uh, lands nearby. So she's going to take him back to America. And while she's there, she's going to teach some some lessons about female empowerment uh, since she did have this, you know, enlightened upbringing with no men. So the early episodes with Wonder Woman are all about the Amazonian history, the unique super ha- superpowers. And um, there's a lot of, like we mentioned before, the bondage. And there's a lot of, um, as one one psychologist put it, lesbian undertones. And that's when we start to get in trouble because this psychologist comes along and writes an article called Seduction of the Innocent. Yeah, with this paper, he was basically saying that Wonder Woman was a terrible influence on children and that she needed to be toned down. And Wonder Woman 
a.k.a. Diana Prince, was toned down. She was lassoed, if you will, by the Comics Code of 1955. It said, hey, you know what? All of this uh, this bondage imagery, all of these somewhat what they perceive to be lesbian undertones, got to go. Got to go. Because not only are the girls getting the wrong message, the psychologist Frederick Wortham thought that the boys were getting the wrong message, too. He said that boys found Wonder Woman terrifying, and we can't have a terrifying female figure on the loose. She's just too strong. She's just too strong. She'll lasso us and and take away all our powers. So from then on, we see women, they have to be drawn more realistically according to the comics code. Uh, but all the, you know, aside from Wonder Woman, who does get significantly watered down, they don't really introduce any more new strong characters. Uh, they've got Catwoman, but she's sort of, you know, more of a bad person who just, you know, Batman kind of likes her, but she's kind of wishy-washy. And Supergirl, who's a female version of Superman, but she was more of his assistant and helper than equal. Um, Elastigirl gets a lot of credit because she was the strongest member of the Doom Patrol. But, you know, they're always part of these teams. And sometimes when a female hero is put on a team, she's the weakest member of the team. But Elastigirl was not, though. She was one of the standout characters because she often saved the day. She could turn into this giant elastic giant, giant elastic giant. <laughs> yeah. And... uh and she could Hulk smash all of this stuff. It's pretty. She was pretty cool. And she has a, a pretty cool outfit. <laughs> Gotta say. Sorry. Now, in the 70s, when we've got second wave feminism, some of the writers try to incorporate these ideas into their, their female heroes. But it really just kind of makes the female hero stock characters who run around saying these really blatant, like, female power things that are kind of insulting, I think, when you look back on them in hindsight. They they make them very uninteresting characters because they're never fighting crime. They're just always saying platitudes about, about equality. And I think that one good example of that would have been Power Girl, who was <laughs> created in response to second wave feminism in a way she was meant to embody um, those negative stereotypes of feminists at the time as militant, strident, and angry. Mm-hmm. So she just didn't really sit too well with fans. And then uh, Matt Madrid, who, you know, who wrote the book he referenced, um, points out Black Widow as a great example, though, of that kind of empowered woman in the 70s. She was a jet setter. She was rich. She was a crime fighter. She wasn't anyone's girlfriend, but she did have relations with some men. She loved him and left him. Exactly. Now, at the same time, like you said, 1972, we've got one woman on the first cover of Ms. Magazine. And a lot of writers give Gloria Steinem this credit for bringing back Wonder Woman to her full powers, because in all the makeovers she underwent, she kind of became more like a, a female James Bond. Mm-hmm. She was mod. So she gets recreated in the second wave of feminism. But a lot of her story is significantly watered down. She's not usually from the Amazon island anymore. Her weapons don't necessarily mean what they meant. And I mean, the lasso just became something to catch men with, mm-hmm. not necessarily a way to make them tell the truth. And so I think it's interesting how... Wonder Woman kind of got co-opted, but a lot of the most out there aspects of her story don't come with her in this recreation. So in thinking about the evolution of Wonder Woman and how she started out and all of the makeovers that she got, I mean, she she just recently got a new outfit that is 
a little more um, modest. She's wearing sure, pants, pants now. She's wearing pants. Um, so I guess it just brings up the question of, since Wonder Woman is the most prominent female superhero, the most long-lasting, I mean, we have more recent um, female superheroes that have come up, such as the the bad girls of the 90s that we talk about in the first, um, the preceding episode. And then we also have comics such as Birds of Prey that feature all-female casts. But Wonder Woman, to me, really embodies, uh, you know, the history of women superheroes. And it really brings up the question of, well, what do we want from a female superhero? And should we even be concerned about how women are portrayed in comics? I Mm -hmm. mean, if these are just fantasy outlets directly marketed to little boys, you know, should we as women be that concerned about it? Mm -hmm. Like, what do we want to see from a superhero? And even though this isn't specifically comic book oriented, there was a really interesting article about the Powerpuff Girls and the success that they were having in terms of being popular with both genders, these little girls who fight crime. But but the writer, Heather Haverleski, makes the point that can we only accept a strong female, you know, superhero when she's five and yeah. really cute? And another article made the point that the women from Sex and the City are more our, our superhero outlets because they live in kind of a fantasy world. I mean, there's no way Carrie could afford that apartment. And their issues of fighting crime are more issues of, you know, can a woman still be sexy when she's over 40? You know, can a woman find a husband? And all these writers are making the point that maybe we don't need a superhero that fights crime. Maybe our, uh, maybe our obstacles are different than that. And I think one thing we have to acknowledge too when we're comparing male and female superheroes is that, yes, a lot of the f- females who end up in comics are hypersexualized. They have enormous breasts and tiny waists and legs for days. At the same time, a lot of the male superheroes are these hyper-masculine figures who have rippling muscles and, you know, just overt kind of sexual appeal to women. So are those portrayals of male superheroes as kind of diluted as the female superheroes they're fighting with? But if we're going to have the most diluted version of a female superhero who can make you feel excited to pick up a comic with her adventures in it, like just off the top of your head, Kristen, what would she be like? Well, she, for me, it would be you. It would be it would be me. I was going to say that, too. <laughs> um, and, you know, there was some evidence that girls our age and younger like real life superheroes better. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this new series of comic books that features women like Hillary Clinton and Sarah Palin, women who, you know, in our real lives are out there making a difference. Do we look as women towards real life superheroes or is there someone in that fantasy world who could fit our mold? Well, I think that's the question that we'll have to turn over to our listeners because you know what, Molly, I'll be honest with you. I don't know the answer. Exactly. I don't either. So that's why we want to hear from you on what the perfect female superhero would look like, whether we still need superheroes, whether it's just a difference of boys like superheroes and girls like something else. And we should also ask for examples of great female characters in comics. Because I know that we talked a lot about Wonder Woman and threw out some other names, but there are scores of women in comics that we didn't bring up. Yeah, we were pretty focused on superheroes, but we know actually that we have listed out there who do their own comics we'd love to hear from all of you guys and broaden this comics conversation up with your help so write to us it's momstuff at howstuffworks.com and share it with other listeners on facebook but in the meantime let's read an email 
I have one here from our listener, Alexa, who writes, I'm 14 years old, and this year for Halloween, I was Velma from the Scooby-Doo cartoons. When I was looking for the perfect Velma clothing items, my own mother even suggested a fairly low-cut orange shirt so that I could be sexy Velma. I had to point out to her that Velma doesn't care about looking sexy and that she was always my favorite on the show because she is comfortable with herself, including her flaws, and is smart, because after all, that's how she always solves the mystery. And Alexa did send us the most adorable photo of herself as Velma. It was pretty pretty great costume. It was really great. Um, so again, if you'd like to email us, send us photos of you dressed up like your favorite superhero, I'd love to see that. It's momstuff at howstuffworks.com. Again, you can like us on Facebook and share your thoughts on our wall. Or you can follow us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast. And then, of course, you can always head over to our blog. It's Stuff Mom Never Told You. And it's at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. The HowStuffWorks.com iPhone app is coming soon. Get access to our content in a new way. Articles, videos, and more all on the go. Check out the latest podcasts and blog posts and see what we're saying on Facebook and Twitter. Coming soon to iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? So here's something that some of you might find shocking. 95% of women don't feel good about their hair. But Pantene is changing that. Pantene's Rosewater Collection combats bad hair days with an innovative formula that uses rosewater derived from the petals and buds of the Rosa Gallica plant. With Pantene's Rosewater Collection, I can really feel how much more hydrated my hair is. And it's sulfate, paraben dye, and mineral oil-free, which makes me feel good because who needs all those additives? Experience something new and discover what's good with the Pantene Nutrient Blends Collection. This episode is brought to you by NBC's Good Girls. The new season of NBC's Good Girls is generating serious buzz. Christina Hendricks, Retta, and Mae Whitman are hilarious as America's favorite moms turned criminals. This show is the perfect blend of comedy, action, and romance. No wonder critics call Good Girls your next TV addiction. And Rotten Tomatoes rates it 100% fresh. Ooh, Good Girls, Sundays on NBC. The new season has already had some wild twists, so watch live. And stream anytime.